You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. Three, two, one. All right, back on the podcast with me again, Mr. Steve Wiseman. How you doing, man? Great. How are you doing, Dan? You know, it's kind of funny because before we started recording this, first you got to tell everybody where you're at right now recording this podcast. <laughs> you sure? Are you sure you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> at least in my head, I'll know you're you're someplace warm. Okay. Well, I'm at Panama City Beach, Florida. I uh, have a townhome that we're renting for a month, and uh, I'm about 50 yards, 60 yards away from the Gulf. Wow. And it's six, 64 degrees today, <laughs> but there's a strong 20 to 30 mile an hour wind, so we have angry Gulf waters, but it's beautiful sitting here watching it. Yeah. Um, I've done f- fishing down here, caught some really nice vermilion uh, snapper I had a great meal at a restaurant down here. They cooked my, they call it hook and hook and cook. You hook them, they cook them. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. So, so yeah, so we, we did that. Yeah, it was, it was really nice, but I'm also, uh, maintaining connection with what's going on up in uh, Northwest Iowa where I live and, and what's going on. I got my, my son and grandson and some friends that are still, doing the ice fishing and, and, uh, ice has gotten much, much better. Um, so, but I, I feel really good here. You told me what your <laughs> high is supposed to be tomorrow. I uh, did you say minus one. Yeah. I think the high, uh, they had on the news, they said the high tomorrow, this is Thursday is supposed to be negative one degree. So roughly a 65 degree, uh, temperature difference, uh, between, tomorrow where i'm at and where you're at yeah i am I'm, I'm good with it yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. okay <laughs> well i tell you what cold temps are good for ice fishermen and uh, especially in the state of iowa i talk to a lot of guys who uh love ice fishing but the temperatures weren't where they needed to be typically like they were in december to get out on the ice uh um at least safely and uh, get uh, enough ice to start ice fishing. But now the uh, January's kind of shifted. It's gotten back to some cold temperatures. And now we got a really, really good cold spell coming up the next couple weeks. That's really going to start layering the ice and uh, allow more and more people to, to get on there. And that's what I want to talk about today is just a variety of ice fishing topics. And, um, you know, I've already done a podcast where we talk a little bit about the basics, and uh, I think it would be cool to dive in a little bit deeper into ice fishing as far as, uh, you know, 
if we're going to try talking to someone who's a little bit more seasoned, uh, not necessarily a, a quote unquote pro, but uh, a couple, you know, a couple deeper tactics than what what type of gear you need to be using. Sure, and and there are, um, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of really great ice anglers, men and women, uh, boys and older people that. Uh, are really good ice anglers in the state of Iowa. And, and you're right, th- this uh, cold snap that we're getting right now, Dan, I think is going to allow some people in the southern half of the state to ice fish when lots of times, you know, Highway 20, uh, Fort Dodge, that type of thing, lots of times that's the Mason-Dixon line of where there's really good, safe ice. Yep. And even here not long ago, it wasn't safe. But I think... Now, as I watch what Des Moines temperatures are and stuff like that, I could see people now. There have been times I've been able to fish ice fish raftsmen, yep. Corey Batterson, and I did that a, a several years ago. I think this will open that up for that. But I do remind people. I know up here at the Iowa Great Lakes, we we have a lot of water still running into Big Spirit, and then it it, it it's full and it's going. Over, over the spillway into East Okaboji, and it makes its way all the way down to Lower Gar, where it dumps out into Mill Creek and, and into the river. And where that current is, and there are several bridges along the way that are never what I consider safe ice. Gotcha. Because that current is always running through there. And there has been a spot that opened up on the south side of East Okaboji, where Bridges Bay is. I don't know if you're familiar with that area, but it's it's towards the west end of the lake on the south side. Big area opened up when it really shouldn't have, except I really believe it was the current of the water that was, it kind of follows the path, to the bridge to get under into Upper Gar and then into Minnewashta. And so as people are, are ice fishing, especially new areas and stuff like that, and now if you've got a bunch of snow on the ice, you still have to be careful because that old adage, not all ice is created equal. Yeah. And, and, and that's so important. Okay, so let me ask you this. When, when you have a... This is this might be a dumb question. Is Spirit Lake and Okaboji are those like dammed lakes or are they no, they have no, they're they have, natural. They're natural. Okay, natural lakes. Okay. Yep. So they're natural lakes but there is an outlet for water to get out. Okay. Gotcha. So okay, but but, is but that they a, are natural. West Okaboji is a glacial lake. Um, you know, it's 100 foot deep. Gotcha. All right. So does that play a huge role or any kind of role in ice formation? Uh, I mean, yes, when it gets cold, you're going to have ice. But if there's a stronger current, is that going to mean it's more safe or less safe? It's less safe. Gotcha. It takes longer. It doesn't get as thick. Um, some, sometimes spots will open up on the lake like on Big Spirit, that really make no sense. And some people have tried to say it's springs. 
Some people have tried to say that it's it's the water running through. I don't know what the answer is. Right. But uh, th- there was a spot on the west side of Big Spirit that opened up, not a huge spot, but maybe a, a, a 15, 20-foot area that just opened up. And there was good ice all the way around. So I just don't get it, but it's always done that. And that's why I'm a little reluctant to drive across Big Spirit in my vehicle, even though there might be 24 inches of ice. And I I think there's over 20 inches of ice out there now. And there are vehicles, ATVs and stuff going all over the place. But in my mind, not all ice is created equal. And I I still, that, that causes me concern about driving across those lakes or across West Okoboji or even East Okoboji. Because um, I'll walk, uh, the ATV travel is, is, is better, I think. But uh, So I kind of stay away from the vehicle travel unless I'm in Angler's Bay, which is a bay, which is shallower, and there isn't that current issue there, or on West Okoboji and Emerson Bay in uh, the North Bay, Miller's Bay, where um, there just isn't the current that we might have in other spots. Gotcha. So the closer you get to shore, the less current, shallower water, uh, you're looking at a little bit safer of an environment to, uh, I guess, bring a vehicle or an ATV out on. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like the bay, the bays and that type of stuff. But you know, they, where water comes out of Big Spirit over the spillway and then into East Okaboji is right by the hatchery. Well, that area, um, with that running water, part of that may never freeze all winter. And the geese help keep it open, too. There's a big pot of geese that have been staying there all winter. So, that you know, I just encourage people, no matter where you're fishing, to know your body of water, to know the ice. You know, we we just lost uh, a couple of people on Storm Lake here in the last week where they... They had a car out there, and, and, and it went in, and, and two of the, the people drowned. And oh, boy. Th- those are such tragic, tragic accidents, and, and we just need to be smart about what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's very unfortunate. Now, when it comes to actually on these bigger bodies of water that have current, uh, maybe a little deeper in the center, uh, where are the fish hanging out? this time of year are, are they deep are they shallow whereabouts yes <laughs> <laughs> i guess it just depend, yeah. depends on the species right yeah uh, it does and it depends on uh w- w- what kind of habitat that they desire and stuff like that normally you think of like uh, bluegills crappies yep. um you're going to find in, in shallower bays that type of thing but i've seen uh, we just had, and I don't know if you'd like to talk about this, but we just had a uh, North American ice fishing uh, tournament come to Okaboji. Okay. And they fished, their boundary was Little Emerson and all of Big Emerson. So you've got water that's up to 25, 30 foot deep, 25 foot, I guess you'd say, out in the basin of it. You've got rocks, you've got bars, you've got weed areas you've got shallows um you've got about everything that you would want 
And it was a bluegill crappie tournament. Okay. And there were four, 41 teams that came from several states as far away as New York State, um, probably 15, 16 teams, two-person teams uh, from Iowa, and then Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska, Indiana, uh, all, kind of all, all over the Midwest. Okay. Um, and a friend of mine is a guide on, on the lake, and he and his buddy, uh, his name is Chad Lorette, and his buddy, uh, Chad Cummings, Chad fished off and on for about three weeks. Okay. Okay. And he found on Christmas Eve, he found a rock pile that had 12 to 13 inch crappies on it. Okay. And they caught some, left them alone. Go back a week later, they're still there. Go back a week later, they're still there. He never beat them up because, you know, if you catch too many of them, they're either going to move off or you caught all of the easy biters. So you, you just don't want to, you don't want to beat them up. Yeah. And so in a tournament like this with 41 teams, they go out one team at a time about every 10 seconds or so, 20 seconds, whatever. And it's a luck of the draw. You go out. So Chad found maybe five or six spots in that whole bay. And it, 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 it's as big as probably some small lakes, that bay. Okay. So there's a lot of water. And he had five go-to spots. And, and the tournament anglers, their idea is this. We don't care if we catch 50, 60, 70, a lot of fish. We want 10 good ones. Bottom line. You got to catch 10 good ones to be able to get in the money. And with a bluegill crappie tournament, you want to catch the big crappies versus a big gill. Yeah. You know, because a 12, 13 inch crappie is going to going to outweigh a nine to 10 inch bluegill. Just, yep. just the way it is. Yep. Okay. So he had that rock area as his first go-to spot. But they, I think, drew like out of 41 teams, I think they went out 31st. Oh, boy. So right away, right away, that scratched their top spot and their second spot. Because once a team gets there, you can only be within maybe 30 yards or so of them as another, or maybe 20 yards as another other team. And so if they're on this specific spot-on-spot spot rock pile, being on the side doesn't do you any good. Yeah. You've got to be in the spot. Well, the team that got there, they won a tournament. Oh, wow. And Chad <laughs> knew they were going to win the tournament. Right. Okay. Now, as these guys pre-fished, there was one team, Chad told me, that they pre-fished for three days and never wet a line. All they did was go from spot to spot to spot to spot, drilling holes, putting their cameras down, seeing what was there. They were looking, they had their topple maps and that kind of stuff, but they were looking for those little breaks or that little subtle rock pile or whatever, or they were working for that little bit of standing weeds 
that's what they were looking for. And so they never fished until maybe the day or so before. And so they dissected basically that entire bay. And they ran into the same rock pile that those guys did. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But only so many people are going to be on that rock pile. Right. Right. Yep. And so, so that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. I w- <laughs> but for me, as an average angler, <clears throat> and I have fished this circuit years ago when it was called a trap attack. And my son and I fished it, and <clears throat> we qualified for the Nationals. We ended up getting third in the nation, which was really pretty good. But I dropped the two crappies down the hole that would have won the whole thing. So oh boy. my son still gives me a bad, bad time about <laughs> that. <laughs> so, but, but you know... That, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing that, I mean, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I like to go out. If I have a spot I think I like, I might drill one or two or five holes. I want to sit and fish. Yeah. I don't want to just go, go and go and go. Absolutely. But, so that's but, how but those that guys shows, won, huh? They they drilled some holes and then they put a camera down in it. For, for some reason to me, that just... I understand that it's a tournament and you got to win, but I just, I feel like that takes some of the fun out of it. It does. It, it, it appeals to the competitive angler, the competitive edge, Yeah. but it does take some of the fun out of it. Yeah, it does. I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, but there's a competitive, I love doing it when I did it, but you're right. You're on edge. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're fighting yourself, you're fighting uh, the elements and you're fighting the other teams, you know? Right. And that's fun when you're competitive, but at, at this point, I just, and most people, there aren't a, a lot of people that are into that tournament thing. Um, the, anglers like to go out and fish and ice fishermen, I think more than anything, especially pan fishermen, they have a tendency to talk to each other a little bit more. They have a tendency to not be secretive. There are some walleye anglers that are really secretive. They don't want to share anything, you know. But panfish, we're a little more gregarious, I guess you would call it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this. How deep of water was this rock pile sitting at? Uh, it was about probably 18 18 foot feet or so. And how far off the yeah. bottom were they? Right on the bottom? Um, both, I think when, when you're fishing something like that and you're fishing crappies, you'll find them on the bottom, but they'll also suspend. Okay. And so these guys then are using their flashers to find the fish, you know, and, and the flasher, it gives a, a little blip that shows that a fish is coming in. I have a Vexilar myself and, and it, it shows as a fish comes, it's a little ways away. It'll show green. As it gets closer, it'll be yellow, and then it turns to a bright red and almost a hot white, and you know that fish is right there. Gotcha. Okay. So so that's what they were using then. So that, um, that allows you a little bit of insight, you know, similar to the cameras, but a, lot, a little bit less technical. Uh, it allows you to know whether or not there's actually fish there. Right, okay. right. And, and with that locator, with that um flasher you can just pick it up drop it in a hole pick it up drop it in a hole you you aren't turning and twisting the the lens so you can see what's down there you know that type of thing yeah. so 
a, a lot of guys in the tournaments, that's what they use. They'll they'll use those flashers. Okay. So they're sitting, so that rock pile was at about 18 feet. Uh, as far as that, that specific tournament uh, was, uh, is concerned, what, uh, what were they catching them on? Because that tournament was they, just they a couple weeks using, ago, right? Right, yeah. right. They were using small tungsten jigs. Okay. Tiny. Um, like if I were going to be fishing it, I would be using like a um, oh, uh, size 14 um, clam small drop jig. Okay. That type of thing. It, it, it's really small. But since it's tungsten it gets down much more quickly, okay. much quicker. And you're using light line. Most of the people that were fishing this tournament, two-pound test was probably the most they were using. All right. I know there were some people using one-pound test. Now, even though you couldn't see down, now sometimes on, on like Okaboja, you can see down up to 18 feet. This year you can see maybe six or eight feet. It's it's not real as good, but that's still sight. That the the fish, the crappies and the bluegills, or all of fish on their sight biters. Okay. They aren't so much smell. They're sight biters because for them to be able to see six eight feet away, they're looking at the action. They're looking at something that's going to trigger them to bite. If they're hungry, the smell is important. But if, if, you know, all day, they're not going to eat all day because they're hungry. Right. They're going to react to something that's going to trigger the bite. So you want a small, small jig, but you want something that will get down fast and then will keep your line tight. If you use six-pound test with one of those little jigs, you would have curls in your line. Uh, okay. Because it wouldn't act, it wouldn't have the weight if you used a lead jig, say a size uh, twelve rat finky, you wouldn't be able to get that line to straighten out. All right. Well, to sense a bite, guys have either really really sensitive rod tips, and they watch that tip, or they use a spring bobber, like a pen spring. I don't know if you in your prior. Um, show if you talk about a spring bobber but it's a little tiny thing that looks like a spring in a pen and that goes on the end of that rod and that spring will just barely barely move sometimes sometimes it'll really dip if they're really aggressive sometimes they'll actually take that spring and raise it up so they've taken that bait and they've brought it up so there is no taut in the line they brought it up. And so when you see that line, that spring bobber go up, you set the hook right away. Yeah. Because that fish has got it. Gotcha. So uh, a combination and, and, and of... That, that, go ahead. A combination of all a those combination. things, right, just allows for the fishermen to know whether or not they have a bite, right? So the, uh, the, right. Sensitive, yeah. the lighter line makes for uh, more sensitivity, allowing you to get your... I don't know, allowing you to get your your uh, bait down lower, your your jig down lower on a tighter line. So when the fish does bite it, it there's less delay from the time that they bite it to the time that you right. realize that there there's a bite. 
Right. Okay. And that that two and one pound test is invisible to the fish. All right. You get a, a, a I hate to say this, but a six pound test to a bluegill is going to look like a rope. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to look like a big piece of plastic. Right. You know, and so you, you want to have, and there are, there are lines out there that are supposed to be more invisible uh, and you can get away with it. But it just seems, um, you know, Dave Gintz is the originator of all this modern ice fishing, you know, and he, he, he spent so much time on mobility and using small things and stuff like that. And he came down to Okaboji and he never caught a bluegill. Hmm. Never caught a bluegill. And that's why he brought his trap attack down to Okaboji because, and he learned from the locals. I mean, you learn from others, right? You learn from success. You know, and that's why uh, you talk to other people, you watch videos, you, you go to bait shops and stuff like that, because they'll give you an answer. But then you have to practice it and not give up on it in just an hour or even a day or two. It takes a while. There's an Okaboji jiggle. There really is. There is a, a type of jiggle that these bluegills and crappies want. Yeah. And huh. when they come in, into the hole and they come into range and see your jig and, and if it's attracting them, they're going to come towards you. And the reason I know this, I've watched it when the water's clear and I'm in the shallows. Okay. And if you want a tutorial, it's the best, it is the best video game on earth. <laughs> you, you can just, you got a portable shack, you put, you put her down and you can just watch and you will, those fish will tell you what stupid things you're doing. They right. really will, right. you know, and if a fish comes into sight and what I know this because I've watched it. So now on my Vexilar, when I'm using that, I know what that fish is doing. Okay. Because I've seen it and I've, I've equated to that to my flasher. So I, I, I can tell kind of what they're doing. And if you start that jigging it a certain way and it, it entices the fish to come in, do not change. Okay. You cannot change. Even if that fish stops, he's still sizing you up, still sizing you up. You keep doing what you were doing. If you break and stop, that fish is gone. Yeah. So it's pretty incredible. What is what is the kind of rod action that you need to be doing to, to I don't know not necessarily the Okaboji jiggle, which sounds like a polka <laughs> song, but like you know, like what what kind of action does a, a fisher ice fisherman need to be working, or maybe some experience in the past that you've had luck with? Okay, if if I'm fishing for pan fish. It's going to be just a, a, a little tight jiggle. It's not going to be a jig. It's going to be a jiggle. And I, I'm just going to be using my hand. It's probably going to be moving constantly at about a half an inch up at the most. And I'm just, just kind of, vi not violently, but I'm just vibrating that because 
you put that in the water and you watch that jig and it's going to quiver. And that's kind of what you want it to do. Now, if you're fishing, um, say walleye and you're using a jigging wrap or you're using some kind of spoon, you're going to give more of a jerk and let it flutter back down and then let it sit. And sometimes those fish will take it on the way up. Sometimes they'll take it on the fall down. You know, each species is, is a little different for what you're doing. But in referencing what these guys were doing there, everything was subtle. Everything. Got you. And, and you know, and, and you got to think, too, if I've been sitting in the same hole for 30 minutes and I haven't seen anything on my locator or on my camera, I haven't had a hit. Do you want to sit there for another 30 or another 30 and another 30? Or do you want to move? Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's only, I mean, maybe you're in a, in a weeds area. And if you, if you move maybe 20 yards, there, there might be a little highway in amongst those weeds that those fish are going through. You know, or maybe it's going to be a little ledge. Maybe it goes from 8 foot to 10 foot, and they're on that ledge. Um, and they might just be 20 yards down or 15 yards. You don't know. And so that's why you do some moving around so that you can find where those active fish are. All right. So, And, and what, 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 one of the things that I, I really truly believe, there are some darn good bait shops all across the state, and they may not be able to give you a spot on a spot, but they can give you a general area. They can give you a general idea of what's really working on their lake. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You've drilled a couple holes, right? You've, you've got set up. You're working it. You're not getting any bites uh, or any fish. How do you know whether or not it's time to move versus changing the setup? And, and I mean tackle uh, or, you know, presenting a new color or anything like that okay let, let's just say we're going to an area at the bay with weeds and you're going to be fishing the crappies and and bluegills yep okay um you you gotta you need to drill several holes to start with i think let's say maybe eight or ten holes and it depends on if there's all kinds of guys around then you can't do it. I mean, I've been in bays where I've had 30, 40 guys around me. Well, then you can't. You're kind of locked in. But if you're not, you can work a whole weed line or you can work a whole a bar, maybe for uh, 40 yards, and you just drill a bunch of holes. Now, sometimes what guys will do, they'll, they'll be with a partner. One of the guys will drill the holes. The next guy will come along, clean out the hole, drop the locator or the camera down, and see what's there. What's it look like? What's it look like? What's it look like? And they do that all the way through their whole line that they're, they've put the, the holes out. And, or maybe they'll do a, a holes in, in a circle, make it look like, uh, like uh, cheese with holes in it, you know? Yeah. And then they'll work that area. Um, the first time out is always the tough one because you have nothing to start from unless you're going on last year's memories or a um, 
a go-to spot maybe that you have from your uh, GPS or something like that from a year ago, and maybe you start from there. I've got several spots marked that way that I know there are four or five spots, say, on the north end of West Okaboji, that I know year in and year out are going to produce crappies and bluegills. Now, it may be 10 yards off, five yards off. It may be the 20-foot one this time versus the 14-foot one inside. And so I may try the 14-foot one. Nothing happens within 20 minutes. I'm moving out to that 16 and then to that 20-foot area. Okay. So you're starting shallow, then you're going deeper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you. And and it it helps if you have a buddy, a friend that has been out. Yeah. And they'll say, Dan, 30 yards off of this tree, fish. Gotcha. Well, here you go. You know, so th- there is that. And, and fishermen are good network makers, too, I think. Yeah. If, if there are a bunch of buddies that do that stuff, they can really increase the odds. Yeah. So. Do you happen to notice any type of trends in ice fishing as far as where fish are located? And what I mean by that is would would they rather avoid current or do they like current or, you know, do they prefer a little current over structure? Any any type of data like that? Well, I think where water's running into a lake in that area is always a, a good place to try if the ice is safe enough, yeah, um, especially for your walleyes. Now, your bluegills and your crappies, they're going to love if there are some green standing weeds yet, yeah, which then will you know get, give them their food source and stuff like that. Now, one thing <clears throat> I would never have done in Emerson Bay in the winter I bet I've only caught maybe 20 or 30 crappies in all the years I've fished it. And it's been by luck. I'm fishing for bluegills. These people, they dissected that bay for crappies. And there were, if somebody would have said they'll catch a 1.12 pound crappie, I'd have said, nah, I don't think so. Well, they did. There were several crappies over a pound. That's a nice fish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but they worked for that. You know, it depends on what you're working for. You know, if if you're a a, a walleye fisherman fishing big spirit, uh, you're probably going to fish rock piles. Uh, you're going to be fishing rubble to sand. You're going to be fishing uh, where, where it might go to muck. You know that type of thing. They might be following the perch, or they might be following um, uh, spot-tailed shiners. And so that changes the whole game when you're going after those walleyes. If you're fishing northern pike, you want to have a nice weedy area, and you're going to have panfish there, and you're going to put down probably a tip-up with a chub, a good, lively chub. All right. So... Would would walleye and northerns be typically in deeper water, or are they coming up in the shallows just as much, depending on you know structure and whatnot? 
Walleyes will come up in the shallows, especially if the bait fish are in there. They will. I mean, in the fall, we've caught those walleyes in in six foot of water or less. Oh, wow. Because that's where the the, the young a year is. Yeah. We've had some tremendous uh, fishing over the weeds in six foot of water. And you got the weeds coming up three feet, so you've got three foot of water over the weeds. And those walleyes come out of that. Those weeds, that's another story, too. But they come out of those weeds and just hammer that spinner with a nightcrawler or, or a leech. So, yes, they'll come up into the shallows. Um, but you'll also find um, that those walleyes are going to be be out, out deep. That That's part of I mean, they'll be in 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 foot of water. Now, there are fish that you will find, perch and walleyes, on, say, Okaboji. They might be in 50 foot of water or 60 foot of water. But what you catch is what you keep because that swim bladder is going to come out of their mouth. Ah, yeah, I've heard about yeah, that before. Be yeah, they're going to be dead fish. Let me ask you this. What happens if you catch a fish and it's outside of the slot and it's dead. Do you have to report that? That's a good question. Why did you ask me that? Um, you know, guys will let them go, do the best they can. Yeah. They'll try to fizz them, stuff like that. Um, I just encourage people not to fish that depth. Gotcha. And, and, and I did it years ago. I did it. And um, I, I popped a 28-incher out of 50 foot of water. And I'll never do it again because I couldn't get her to straighten up and go back down. Yeah. And I ended up with a 28-inch walleye. And that that was just, that was probably the saddest day of all my fishing times because I knew better. I know better. But, geez, I wanted to catch fish there. Yeah. And so I I stay away from those steps. I I just do. Definitely a learning experience. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So as the, you know, and and then I wanted to add one more thing when you're fishing those little, little baits, um, what, what people are doing, they're, they're putting plastics on these, a little plastic tail, like a Mackie plastic or that type of thing. And there's all kinds of different colors and different sizes and looks, but they kind of undulate in the water. They, they, and they'll, they'll have a mayfly type. They'll have, all different kinds. So you can do that, or you can put on live bait like a waxworm or silver wigglers. They, they've been able to make wigglers so they're red now and green. They have, I guess, food coloring. I don't know what it is. A dye that changes them colors. People will, will use them. But that's basically what they're using with, with those um, panfish. Now, Perch bite has been really good on on Big Spirit. The last three to four weeks, it's been great. And the the perch are out deep. They're in 20 foot of water. They're in the muck. And they're feeding on blood worms right on the bottom. So you got to be out in that muck. You got to work that because those darn perch are are marauders. They just wander. And you'll get schools of them wandering around, but they're catching some nice nine, 10, 11 inch perch. And they're using slip bobber and a plain hook and a, a small minnow. 
and that helps keep the little perch away. Or they're using spoons or those little jigs, again, maybe a, a, a size bigger than what I talked about, maybe like a dingle drop size 12 maybe, and they'll put uh, plastic or wigglers or wax worms on that. Got you. Do you find that these fish uh, that, you know, under the ice have patterns or cycle through specific areas and maybe a, a school will sit on a rock bed, uh, but then they might go to another rock bed one day or once they find something good, like good structure, good food source, they stay there until it's gone and then they move on or what's your uh, yeah, experience with that? I think they'll they'll stay there quite often if they if if what they want is there they're going to stick around. One thing that I think will move them off is pressure, fishing pressure. I got to tell you about one weekend. It was a Saturday. It, the day got to be about forty degrees. There was no wind, and it was thirty at seven o'clock. It was the perfect day. I counted on the north end of Big Spirit. You couldn't drive out. Or on, on the west of Kaboja, I'm sorry. You could not drive out yet. I counted 77 cars Holy along the road, the beach. That was just on the north end. I went to Emerson Bay. There were 20 guys parked along the side by Crescent Beach. There were another 50 vehicles parked in the Emerson Bay boat launch the parking lot i went to spirit and there were 40 cars along the road at buffalo run the same held true off the north end the southeast end every mom dad grandpa grandma everybody who could was out that day well i counted 300 people on the north end of west and that definitely moved the fish yeah you know when you think about it if say 200 people caught 10 fish in a, a pretty good sized area that's 2,000 fish yeah or i'm sorry yeah 200 people caught 10 fish that's 2,000 fish yeah well what you're doing there may be a lot more fish there, but you've caught all the easy ones. You know, when you when you catch them early in the year, they haven't seen a bait for a while, and they're really aggressive. And you catch the aggressive ones. Well, then you got the next tier of less aggressive fish, and the next tier of even less aggressive fish. And you get later in, in into the middle of the ice season, they've seen about every lure. I mean, they've seen a lot of them. And so they become pretty darn neutral. And that's why I think that one of the reasons ice fishing gets tougher at midwinter. Yeah. Just because of the pressure. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, that, that makes sense yeah. just like anything, hunting and fishing. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, how... if, if you have, have ducks coming into a slough and they, they aren't protected, how long are they going to stick around? Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you this: after the after the 
easy fish are caught, right? The aggressive fish are caught, maybe even the second tier. And now you have the real, real picky fish. You know they're there because maybe you can see them. Maybe you know that they're there with your flasher. um, Or, you know, you have other reasons to believe, historical data. What is a tip or a trick that you've been successful with in the past catching really picky fish? Maybe go even smaller than you've been using, a lure smaller. Okay. Um, I, I mean, that, that, that is a, a good option um, because that's a, a different profile maybe than what you've been using. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, and color can make a difference too. Uh, again, it's your willingness to change. Yeah. You know, that old adage of what insanity is doing what you've always done and not getting any different results, but yet you want different results. Yeah. So you do what you've always done. Yeah. Well, that holds true in fishing too. And there are some people who are really, really good at changing and, and trying different things. Then there are guys like me that I want to use what I use because I like what I use. And so I will, I will fight and have more trouble because of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's some good, in, that's some good insight. Uh, cause you know, if I was to go out and ice fish today and not, you know, not catch fish, the only thing that I, my next logical steps would be to, okay, a change the bait or B move to a new, a new yeah. location. And I don't know. That's uh, so we covered a lot today. We had a lot of good information. Yeah. Um, when are you? When are you coming back from down south, out of the sunshine, <laughs> up to the freezing, freezing uh, north here? And well, uh, well it, it it kind of looks like I'd like to stay a lot longer, <laughs> but it looks like about the middle of February I'll be back. Okay, you going to hit the ice at that point? Oh yes, sure. Yep, and and I'm lucky because I have my my son and and some friends that that ice fish and they're pretty good about helping to show me what's been going on you know about last year would have been in in february i i get a call from jason mitchell wants to do a a fishing show on west okaboji bluegills and i go let's do her but I said, I've been in Arizona the last two weeks, but my son had been fishing. So I called Kurt up and I said, Kurt, I hope you can take a couple days off. I need a guy bad. And so he, he had some spots and we were able to get a good fishing show out of it. But again, there's, there's that network. If you've got somebody or some people that are on fish or a bait shop, that'll tell you, at least get you in the right direction. You've got a shot. Yeah. You know, but if if you're going to just do it for a couple hours and that's going to be it, it's like a pig in a poke in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Steve, man, you have a, you have a good rest of your vacation down there in uh, Florida and uh, good luck when you do get back uh, up here on the ice in Iowa. And thanks for taking time out of your uh, day to chat with me about ice fishing, man. You bet. You know, one last thing, you know, some of the best fishing is coming up that right before ice out, that 
can be electric, just like early ice. You've got water running into the holes. You've got the sun's up warmer. It, it can be awesome. But again, you're pushing the envelope a little bit because ice can be a little more treacherous too as that begins to kind of honeycomb and get ready to melt and sink. But oh, it can be awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you'll have to uh, you'll have to come back on and uh, share with us how your how your ice fishing season, uh, you know, after your sunburn, after your sunburn goes away and you're <laughs> able to get back on the ice. Okay, will do, Dan.